and start boating. Sunny for Melbourne today, a top of 32 degrees. The UV index today is 11, thanks to SunSmart. And SEN is your home for next week's Australian Open with every night session live on SEN and a dedicated channel all day on the SEN app. Tomorrow's car is in stock today. Tech driver Hyundai Tucson turbo diesel all-wheel drive. Mornings on SEN. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Julian DeStoot with you on a stunning Melbourne morning. If you're going along to the tennis at Kooyong today or you're popping down to Melbourne Park and having a look at the Oz Open qualifiers, a stunning day to do so. I hope you're enjoying your morning out there, whether you're on the way to work or still on holidays. Uh, it is a fantastic day uh, to enjoy in Melbourne. Big show coming up on our McCafe menu. Plenty of football uh, today. We'll speak to Daniel Garb in the first hour. Just get the reaction to the big story yesterday, and that was the punishment. Uh, handed down to the Melbourne victory. Parts of it a little bit surprising, so we'll take your calls on that uh, very shortly and also get Daniel Garb's thoughts. Uh, Melbourne City, on the other hand, uh, things are going beautifully over there. Going to chat to uh, their midfielder, Valon Barisha, who's uh, made a big impact at the club. He's got a great backstory. He's played football all over the world. He's played football for a, a couple of different countries uh, internationally. He's going to join us. Wayne Hawks from up at the Magic Millions. A big day for the Hawks stable yesterday and uh, plenty of money being thrown out at, around up there. Not a great launch. A couple of horses uh, just decided to go for a bit of a gallop through the streets of the Gold Coast. So we'll talk to Wayne about all those things. It's a big year in terms of uh, World Cups, as we've spoken about a few times. And uh, yesterday, of course, we spoke uh, about the Women's World Cup, the T20. That squad was announced. Uh, but the first one that gets underway this year is the Hockey World Cup, about to get underway over in India. Obviously, Australia, the Kookaburras have a great record uh, in the tournament. So we'll speak to their former captain, Mark Knowles, about the Kookaburras prospects uh, in the World Cup, uh, which is getting underway uh, in a couple of days' time. But first of all, off the top today, the good old-fashioned family feud. Nice to have you come here today. Welcome to Family Feud, and good luck as you play at home. We- not that one, Johnny. Not the 1990s game show hosted by Rob Bruff. I'm talking about the bitter feuds that sometimes never get resolved. And no family is spared. Right now we have the Royal Rumble, the Sandringham Stouts, the Buckingham Brawl, whatever you want to call it, where Harry keeps dropping bombs on his nearest and dearest. Your arguments with your brother became physical. I was defending my wife, and he was coming for my wife. She wasn't there at the time, but through the things that he was saying. I was defending myself, and we moved from one room into the kitchen, and his frustrations were growing and growing and growing. He was shouting at me. I was shouting back at him. It wasn't nice. It wasn't pleasant at all. And he snapped, and he pushed me to the floor. He knocked you over? He knocked me over. Um, I landed on the dog bowl. You cut your back? Yeah, I cut my back. I didn't know about it at the time. So not even the most famous family in the world is spared a feud. So in a sporting sense, I want to know what have been some of the great feuds. So I'm not talking about rivalries here, not Carlton versus Collingwood or Celtic versus Rangers or Australia v England in the cricket or, you know, the Wallabies bleed the All Blacks uh, in rugby. But I'm talking about the personal feuds that might have been sparked by an incident on the field or an incident off the field or a comment uh, that had been made about a certain player or a certain team where 
a lot of the time the bad blood just simmers forever. Okay, let's look at a, a couple of examples uh, to get you thinking. So locally uh, in the world of AFL, who will ever forget when Kevin Sheedy dropped this line about nor- two North Melbourne officials in 1998? I mean, I don't mind taking criticism from uh, good, strong North Melbourne people like Aylett or Cheatley or, you know, players like um, ex-players. But to, to listen to uh, Dawson, Dawson to me, he'd be, he'd be a pink marshmallow, Dawson, and uh, Miller would be a, a white marshmallow. I mean, that's about <laughs> where I see those two uh, softies, you know, when it gets down to that sort of stuff. I mean, he's probably just uh, chairman selectors because he's got an investment in the club. So he didn't miss there, Kevin Sheedy. That lit the fuse uh, for Essendon and North Melbourne for years to come, and there is still no love lost uh, between those uh, two clubs. Okay, overseas. So let's go to the world of the English Premier League. A couple of years earlier, 1996, Newcastle and Manchester United were battling it out for the English Premier League title when things got really personal between the respective managers, Kevin Keegan of Newcastle and the one and only Sir Alex Ferguson. So Keegan was left seeing red after Ferguson cast doubt on Leeds and Nottingham Forest as to whether they would try as hard against Newcastle as they did against Manchester United. When you do that with footballers, like he said about Leeds, and when you do things like that about a man like Stuart Pearce, I've kept really quiet, but I'll tell you something. He went down in my estimation when he said that. We have not resorted to that, but I'll tell you, you can tell him now, be watching it, we're still fighting for this title, and he's got to go to Middlesbrough and get something. And, and I'll tell you, honestly, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. Famous, famous uh, post-match interview there from Kevin Keegan. Unfortunately, he didn't get his way in Manchester United. Did go to Middlesbrough. They did get the three points, and they did win the title. So they're the sort of examples we're looking for. Give us a call, one 736 736 or send us through a temper text, 0433-981116. Temper, a mattress like no other. There is a heap coming through already on the 40 Wings Temple. We'll read plenty of those out throughout the show, but I'd love to take your calls. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Before we get to Jason from Bendigo, who's already called through on the open line, now, we've got to talk about the big story out of yesterday, and that was the punishment handed down to Melbourne Victory. And there were some surprises. The financial penalty is the biggest the sport has handed down in this country, $450,000 plus $100,000 suspended. But... There was no immediate points penalty instead of 10 points suspended penalty and no three points given to City following that fateful derby on December 17. Instead, the match will restart from the 22nd minute in April with City leading 1-0. Look, it, it is a hefty fine, and uh, we acknowledge it is significant. Um, but it's one that uh, we hope changes culture. Those individuals that illegally entered the field of play caused damage and verbally and physically assaulted players and officials, and they really crossed the line. And that is completely unacceptable in Australian football. Logic is to put... Um, the responsibility on the spectators to help us and to help the club um, self-regulate because should any of their colleagues do that, there are catastrophic damages for Melbourne Victory. We're also uh, very aware that this is not the first time that we have had an issue with Melbourne Victory. In 2016, we had uh, an invasion of the pitch. In 2022, we had the Cavallo incident. In 2022, we also had the 2021 Australia Cup because it was played in 2022 issue where fans also damaged LED and entered the pitch when they were 
um, um, celebrating a goal. Um, so this is really uh, an aggravation of those issues. So that was James Johnson from the FFA explaining that decision yesterday. Your thoughts, uh, victory fans or football fans in general, did they get it right? Is it is there parts of the punishment that aren't right? What do you think of the fact there's no immediate points penalty and also the fact City don't get the three points uh, from that derby? I think a lot of people were expecting that. Instead, the game will resume from the 22nd minute uh, in April. So keen to get your thoughts on that as well. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Send us through a temper text 0433981116. Consumer's Choice winner temper mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. As we mentioned, Daniel Garb will join us uh, in this first hour on our McCafe menu just to get his thoughts on that punishment and what happens now for Melbourne victory. But Jason from Bendigo is first through on the open line. He's got a sporting feud for us. G'day, Jace. Hi, Jules. Thanks, mate. Hey, look, I love the Brooks Kepka and the uh, Bryson DeChambeau. Oh, that's a good one. That is a good one. I think when Brooksy was bowling them long, every time he got an interview on the Golf Channel, they would ask him, you know, what are you doing to hit the ball so long, Brooks? And he was not as you would. He was the longest hitter on tour or thereabouts. But then old uh, DeChambeau came up, got the Cobra contract. They made him uh, some super stiff graphite shafts, primitive away the heads and those sort of things. And he's bombing it way past him. So if you saw their <laughs> little uh, to and fro on Twitter, they did argue, but they argued like gentlemen. They didn't quite call each other idiots, but... That's what basically what they were saying. And then Brooks had that last golf channel interview before Liv started up. And That's right. Brooks, he walked past him in the background and stuck his tongue out. That didn't go down too well on Twitter either. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I know you but, love your golf, Jason. And uh, Would it be fair to say most people when it comes to Brooks v. Bryson are Team Brooks? I would say so, yeah. I think um, the petulant actions of, um, of DeChambeau when his drive went way would in that Open last year before Liv Golf, I think that put a lot of people offside. I think he blamed everyone but his swing. So um, that put me offside. But, yeah, look, I, I think just watching him go to head-to-head was really good. The fact that he takes about eight hours to complete 18 holes doesn't help either. <sighs> <laughs> no, he doesn't, and that stupid putter he's got. But can I ask you a question, Jules? You can. Um, I want to know, how come the soccer club is held responsible for its fans. They've got no control over them whatsoever. I think that's just seems a bit strange to me. Well, I think that a big part of it, and it's been used all around the, the, the world in, in punishments like this, is it's meant to be a massive deterrent for the fans, saying, OK, if you're going to carry on and uh, you know break our laws, run onto the pitch, whatever it is, that your club, which you love so much, is going to pay. So I think that's the that is a big part of it. I'll ask Daniel Garb that question because it's a good point you make, Jason. Because all since this derby on December seventeen, there's been a lot of people saying that. Well, why should the club be punished for the actions of it? Well, a few, there's a bit more than a few on this occasion. But I think that's a big part of it. The fact that uh, it's like, okay, fans, to get the message through, do it, and the club that you love is going to really cop it. So I think that's a big part of it. But I will ask Daniel Garb that because he'll know. Uh, that more than me. Thanks for your call, Jason. Uh, Nick from Hoppers Crossing's got a view on the Melbourne Victory Punishment. Yeah, Nick. Hey, guys, Jules. I'm well, mate. How are you? Not too bad. First, I'll go with with a feud. Um, I think Robert Walls and um, Kevin Sheedy. That's going back from the old yeah, days. Yeah, that's a classic. That's that a classic. I think I think it's still deep down a lot of wounds there. Um, Melbourne Victory. I think um, they got it partly right. They should have fined them. I was sort of thinking, yeah, four or five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, no worries. That's that's one tick. 
Um, the club should have been suspended, I think. And they, or they should have got the 10 points sort of thing. That, that should have been in play. And the, the other part that I disagree with, starting the game, which is stupid, from 60, 60 minutes on, they should have restarted the whole thing or given the points to, by default to uh, Melbourne City. That would have been made it happy for everybody. I agree with that, Nick. I, I'm, I don't think you can start the game again. I think that's a bit unfair on Melbourne City because they were leading the game. I, I thought they would get the three points. It was victories. You know, it was deemed it was the victory fans, quite rightly. It was their fault the game was cancelled. Uh, so, therefore, I thought the points would go their way. I think most people were thinking that. I don't think you could suspend the club because the integrity of the competition then really gets uh, hurt if you t- take a club out of the competition for a few weeks. But I-, I was a bit surprised there was suggestions around the fact there wasn't an immediate 10-point penalty was was to do around the integrity of the competition. I mean, we've seen in football competitions all around the world where there's points deductions, particularly in, look at, you know, the lower leagues of English football when clubs go um, into administration, for example. They'll get, you know, Derby County lost about what, 10, 12 points to start a season. So I'm not sure about that. Melbourne Storm played a whole season for no points uh, in the NRL. So I'm not sure that argument uh, quite stacks up. But I'll ask Daniel Garb uh, all those questions uh, very shortly. Let's get to a break. We'd love to get more of your calls on these sporting feuds. Uh, There's some fantastic ones coming through on the 40 Wings temper, even some ones that uh, maybe a lot of you would have uh, forgotten about. So we'll read some some of those out after the break. Just remember, too, the NFL playoffs are coming up. It's going to be... Fantastic. Always close games, always a lot of drama. You can stream every NFL game this season live on NFL Game Pass. Visit nflgamepass.com. But after the break, uh, more of your calls and your 40 Wings temper text on the great sporting feuds. This is Mornings for Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel. It's in stock now. The Fantastic Sale is on now with up to 10% off selected outdoor items plus heaps more at Fantastic Furniture while stocks last. Find your Fantastic in-store or online today. Good morning. SEN Track, the new sound of chasing, pacing and racing. You can find it at 1593 AM. Tomorrow's car is in stock today. Tech drive the Hyundai Tucson turbo diesel all-wheel drive. Mornings on SEN. Welcome back to the show. Hope you're enjoying your morning. Julian DeStoop with you. We're talking great sporting feuds this morning. Those personal feuds, just off the back of, uh, you know, Prince Harry's book is out. He's been throwing barbs left, right and centre at the Royal Family. Daniel from Wyndham Vale's jumped on the line with one for us. G'day, Daniel. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Um... Well, you know that Liverpool and Man United have got a massive rivalry, but also back then, you had Patrice Everett and um, Luis Suarez. Oh, yes, um, that was nasty. Beefing with um, the Suarez uh, biting incident, and then Everett refu- I mean, um, Suarez refusing to shake his hand. That's right. Not long afterwards at Old Trafford. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty spicy, that, um, that feud. It was, and I remember Kenny Dalgleish uh, post-match when he refused to shake hands, got very shirty uh, with the interviewer. Uh, so, yeah, a bit bit went on there. The English football's got plenty of them. Daniel, thanks for your call. Let's get to Brett in Brisbane. I think he's got an AFL one for us. G'day, Brett. G'day, Jules. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. Um, look, just supporting the Sheedy v. Walls um, argument, 
there was a document given by Sheedy to all the Essendon players the night before the 2000 grand final that he put together. In that document, it's got letters from past players, current players to, it, to the team. Yep. But there's a two-page um, spread on Robert Wall. Is that right? So, yeah. So Sheeds has taken a copy of his article um, and printed that out, written down the margin, the Essendon hate man, not not one comment about Essendon. <laughs> and then on one page by itself, with a photo of Robert Walls, it says, Robert Walls, the acid tongue of Carlton, has selected <laughs> Melbourne by 12 points. <laughs> that sounds like something Kevin Sheedy would have done. I, I haven't heard that story before. Uh, Brett, for those that don't remember, that was a feud that sort of um, reared its head on talking footy back in 2001, I think. I think it was, uh, where Kevin Sheedy had, had made the famous quote, not all snipers were in Vietnam in the 1970s. And Wolsey was, he got angry with it. He was sort of saying, just name me. I'm happy to, to wear it, but you're not naming me. Stop hiding behind uh, not naming me. And then Kevin Sheedy went on to say a few disparaging things about Robert Walls's coaching. He went to Brisbane and hid. That was the, the famous comment that he made. And then Walls came back at Sheedy saying, well, you, you haven't got a full experience of coaching. You've been at the one club. You don't know what it's like to, to coach a club where the owner's trying to wrap you up all the time, where players aren't getting paid, where 90% of your um, players are coming from interstate. So it got really nasty that night on uh, Talking Footy. And the, the thing that always staggers me about Robert Walls he grew up barracking for Essendon. Who, who would have believed it, given all the animosity uh, that uh, between the club and Wolsey in the Richmond Carlton days with Sheedy, that he once was an Essendon supporter? Thanks for that, Brett. Uh, Richard in Camberwell's got one for us. G'day, Richard. Morning, Jules. Happy New Year. Yeah, you too, mate. Uh, I have two. Uh, I, thank you. I have two, both based on religion. Uh, the first one, the aforementioned Essendon and North. Uh, that dated that the hatred between those two hatreds uh, went back to when North was admitted into the AFL in 26 or 27. My grandfather was brought up um, in Dryberg Street, around the corner mm-hmm. from Arden Street in North Melbourne, and he said it was on. That, that, uh, they, the two clubs hated each other because Essendon was, uh, was perceived to be Protestant and North was con- uh, considered uh, Catholic. The there you go, one, yep. Uh, con- Second one concerned um, Sir Donald Bradman and Bill O'Reilly. Yes, it is a very uh, famous one. In the 1930s, they hated each other. Well, Bradman respected O'Reilly's ability as a bowler, but that was about it, and O'Reilly just hated Bradman. That was a very famous one uh, between two Australian uh, cricketing greats. Thanks for your call, uh, Richard. Uh, Andy on the road's got one for us. Hello, Andy. Hey, legend. How are you? Hey, it's that, Andy. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year, legend. Hopefully it's a brilliant 2023 for you and the family. Thank you. You too. And I hope your Brisbane Lions go very well as well. Yeah, we'll see how we go. We'll see how we go. I'm, uh, I'll be happy when this cricket uh, kit and giggle and the South Africans uh, <laughs> head, head back over because it's been boring. Yeah, we've got some good series coming up, but it uh, hasn't been a lot of competition so far, it's fair to say. Got a feud for us? Oh, massive one. Probably like it it's probably won't be mainstream uh, in Australia, but Mauro Cardi and Maxi uh, Rodriguez from Emery is his name. So they were best mates playing for Sampdoria in Serie A, both Argentines. Yep. Uh, and uh, let's just say uh, Mauro uh, went on a, on a on a boat trip with uh, with the two families. Uh, unfortunately, he left with his uh, best mate's wife and three kids, and to top uh. it off, 
he got those three kids tattooed, not his kids, his best mate's kids, uh, massive uh, tattoos, I think, on his, on his, over his heart. Oh. Uh, took the missus back to Argentina, who was a TV presenter. Uh, but Karma hit him, I think, late last year. Where then uh, she did the dirty on him. So. I did read that. Yes, yes, I did see yeah. that late last year. Uh, yeah, there's no coming back from that sort of stuff. It's fair to say that is a no. feud that uh, is never being resolved. In the end, Kevin Sheedy and Robert Wall shook hands, but uh, that will not be happening uh, with those two. Thanks for your call, Andy. Oh, Barney, I was waiting for this one to come up. Barney in South Croydon, how are you going? Guy Jules, good mate, good mate. That, that, this one was a very famous one, and yes. uh, uh, I think it was it all stemmed from Lance Whitnell not going to his brother's kid's birthday party. Or yeah, something. it was something personal and like that. Yep, something like that. And then it, his brother just let rip with a you know barrage of abuse. And there's a famous. Um, <laughs> you, it's probably in your. You know how these sound guys come yes. up with it, go, go Tigers. Yes. <laughs> that was a famous one. But it gets a famous, famous run on uh, the run home, that one. Go Tigers. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably where I've sort of, uh, <laughs> yeah, it still keeps going. Yeah, it's a bit like Ray Jordan, you know, get the boy off sort of thing, you know. <laughs> a, thanks for bringing that one to our attention, Barney. I was waiting for that one. Yeah, there was a news story at the time, and it must have been just before the season, I think, and it was asked about, Shane, you got any thoughts on the uh, Richmond Carlton game, which your uh, brother's about to, to play in? Go Tigers, he said. So that, that summed it up uh, pretty well. Uh, got a heap here on the 40 Winks temp. I'll just read through a few. It's funny this one's come up, Brody, because it was on last night. Uh, I, I flicked over the tally and it was on. Mark Jackson versus Mike Sheehan, open mic. That was, I was there that day when it was being filmed. It was Oh, tense was an understatement. It was unbelievable, the tension coming out of that studio. Another personal one here, Andrew McLeod and Tyson Edwards, long-term teammates, fought, fell out, uh, didn't talk, but still played footy together. <laughs> Sydney commentators in the Melbourne Storm, says Mark. Greg Murphy and Marcus Ambrose in the world of V8. This was one that certainly came to mind very early for me. Tonya Harding versus Nancy Kerrigan, of course, rival American ice skaters with Harding's camp trying to kneecap Kerrigan by having an assailant clubber on the knee. JT from Mildura, uh, and it's been in the movie, I'm Tonya. Uh, it's a fantastic movie if you haven't seen it. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, Campbell Brown and Matthew Lloyd was a great feud, says Stephen. Mark Stevens and Mick Malthouse, says Tim. Uh, I've thought of this one too. John Buchanan versus Shane Warne. Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier, Simon Clark, Simon Clark, Simon Kadich and Michael Clark. Uh, Tex Walker versus Kane Corn, says Sam. Yeah, it's no, no love lost there. <laughs> Not bad, this one. Jules Finey and some of his quiz callers. Yeah, certainly there was some tension between Finey and his quiz callers uh, over the years. So keep them coming through. I've uh, got some time to take more of your calls. Tony from Q, hang on. We'll get you on the other side of the news with Vanessa. The SEN app, now compatible with Apple Watch. Download today to listen anywhere, anytime. Making SEN news this hour, the government's considered... $9. Sunny for Melbourne today, a top of 32 degrees. The UV index today is 11, thanks to SunSmart. And SEN is your home for next week's Australian Open with every night session live on SEN and a dedicated channel all day on the SEN app.
Thank you, Vanessa. Some very good stuff coming through on the 40 Wings tip. And now we're going into areas that aren't sport. Normie Rowe versus Ron Casey on the uh, midday show in the uh, early 90s. I reckon that one would have been. Not sure that's sport, but uh, keep them coming through. There's some really good ones coming through. I think Tony from Q's got one for us. G'day, Tony. Uh, G'day, JDS. Um, I reckon this is probably one of the hottest feuds in international cricket. It would have to be... Sir Ian, uh, sorry, Lord Ian Botham and uh, Ian Chappell. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure how it all started, but it just kept on festering and festering, and I think it's pretty well known that they uh, they don't send Christmas cards to each other. No, that is that's come through pretty strongly, um, and yeah, that is that is one of them. It's a pretty good sport for the old ri- rivalries uh, cricket in terms of personal feuds as well, uh, and that one certainly uh, has come through pretty strongly. Thank you for that, uh, Tony. Um, so plenty more coming off our forty winks uh, temper. Before we get to the break, I'll I'll read a few more. Just a reminder on our cafe menu today. Daniel Garb will join us after the break to talk just through the I guess the, the reaction to the punishment handed down to Melbourne victory yesterday. We're going to get up to the Gold Coast. Wayne Hawks is up there. He's splashing the cash. Uh, the Hawks clan there's at the Magic Millions. Uh, Valon Barisha from Melbourne City and also Mark Knowles, former Kookaburra's captain, to preview the Hockey World Cup, which is just about to get underway uh, in India. So a few more off the 40 Winks temper. Morning, Jules. I know a lot of it's done for the cameras and to build interest, but I love the UFC feuds. Conor McGregor versus Jose Aldo was fantastic. Mm, bit too stage managed for mine. Another one here, Vince McMahon versus Brett the Hitman Hart. No, Tim. Scripted, mate. Scripted. I reckon A-Rod might have sent that through, actually. I'm not I'm not taking wrestling ones. It's all scripted. Doesn't count. Um, Senna and Prost. Yeah, no doubt. That was one of the great rivalries uh, in Formula One. Collingwood supporter. Devastated to see Moltau sign with Carlton. But came to look forward to Mick being frosty with Mark Stevens after a Carlton flog. Go Pies. Uh, P.S. Happy birthday to my wife, Angela. Cheers, Mick. Bristol in Tassie. Happy birthday, Angela. I hope uh, Mick makes it a memorable day for you. Uh, Kramer from Brisbane. Ronaldo versus any team he's played with in the last three years. Uh, Dennis Lilly and Jarvid Meandad. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a pretty frosty one. Actually out you know, in the middle. Uh, so plenty more coming through. Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe didn't particularly like each other, says Alistair from Albion. Uh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. Ross Lyon versus Shane McGuinness. Yep. Uh, Roy Keane versus Patrick Vieira in the EPL is one of the great rivalries. Yeah, that all took off uh, in the tunnel uh, before one of their matches at Highbury uh, back in the day. Stephen Quartermain versus Jason Dunstall Fried Rice, uh, says Ben in Adelaide. Uh, so, yeah, plenty uh, coming through. Keep them coming through. We'll take some more of your calls. Finally, in some of the quiz callers, that was... Some extraordinary radio back in the day. He actually, because no one was getting the answers right, he actually just called the quiz off. Went to a break, said, no quiz tonight, no prizes. Let's get out of here. You're annoying me all. Let's take a break. No one's annoying me here, but we are going to take a break uh, for mornings for Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel in stock. Now, coming up after the break, we'll discuss the Melbourne victory sanctions uh, with football journo Daniel Gupp. Hello again, still no change to the run-in. On SEM track. Tomorrow's car is in stock today. Tech driver Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel All Wheel Drive. Mornings on SEN. Making sure that these sorts of things don't happen again means working. And you would have heard FA have announced a, a task force in relation to this moving forward. And 
we need to work with all of the stakeholders. So security, you know, the, the derby was an away game for us. The security certainly wasn't um, controlled by us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we need to work with security, police, the stadium, the league and Football Australia to make sure that we're all on the same page of eradicating this sort of behaviour. I think it would be remiss to, to say whilst that was absolutely deplorable. 99.5% of Melbourne Victory supporters and members have never put a, a foot wrong. So I, I want to be really careful in not lumping in the people that have always come and supported in a safe manner with, with those that did actions that no one could ever condone. That was Melbourne Victory Managing Director Caroline Carnegie on Sports Day last night. As I welcome in Daniel Garbers, we discuss, uh, I guess, the reaction uh, to the punishments handed out to Melbourne Victory yesterday. Uh, Garby, Happy New Year and thanks for your time again. Thank you, Jules. Good morning to you, mate. What was your initial reaction uh, when James Johnson announced those sanctions yesterday? Oh, expected and warranted. Uh, not surprising. Um, the fines are hefty, $550,000 in total. And that's no small amount for an A-League club or any sporting club in Australia to cop. Significant, but probably justified when you consider what transpired in that Melbourne derby. And then from a sporting sense, uh, the 10-point penalty, which is suspended. But if there is any further fan infractions over the next three years of a serious nature, um, that penalty is likely to be imposed. And then also the bans on fans behind the goals in the active area at Melbourne Victory fans for the rest of the season and also away fans as well, which heavily affects the atmosphere at Melbourne mm. Victory games, which they need right now. I mean, they're struggling, sitting second bottom of the, on the table. They might even be bottom now after the Perth Glories win last night, which is hard to fathom. Um, but they're a club in, um, in disarray at the moment on and off the field. But uh, I thought uh, they were warranted. I think Football Australia and James Johnson have dealt with this really well. They were swift and firm from the outset. Uh, the Melbourne victory didn't want a leg to stand on. They didn't have one either. And I think they've uh, copped the penalties and, and they're just keen to, to try and move on now and uh, and rebuild their club. Yeah, currently bottom of the table, as you mentioned, after that win from Perth last night. Was there any surprise that there wasn't an immediate point penalty uh, implemented, which we've seen in, in other leagues around the world? Are you comfortable with the suspended 10 points? Yeah, that wasn't something that was uh, required from me. If it was imposed, I don't think, again, there would have been too much criticism of that. But the, the fine is, is significant. $550,000 is a huge fee to pay as it stands. And I think the bans around fan involvement has been a significant as well. Then I guess you can make the argument, Jules, why punish everyone? rather punish those supporters. And if you are putting bans on fans behind the goals, of course, that affects the club on the whole, but it really does punish those supporters. And the bans on the fans who actually carried out um, that ridiculous act that night, that abhorrent act, they've been significant as well. I think 17 people have been handed bans uh, ranging from two years to life bans, and there are more to come, according to James Johnson. To me, that is the best way to go about it. You actually punish those individuals rather than as you heard from Caroline Carnegie a moment ago, 99.5% of fans who actually do the right thing. And they would be punished if their team 
copped a further penalty. In the future, for sure, the victory fails to get on top of their active supporter base and uh, or ultra supporter base, I should say. It's not even the actives. It's the ultras within the actives mm. who do this sort of nonsense. Um, if they fail to get on top of that, then by all means. But uh, no, I think it's probably been the right decision making on that then. Had a caller before, Jason from Bendigo, speaking to Daniel Garb, a football journalist, about the punishments for the Melbourne victory. And he's not the first person to ask this. Uh, Jason, I think ever since the incident happened on December 17, it's either come through on our 40 Winks uh, temper text machine or people have called through. Can you just explain why in these situations that Mm. it's the club as well as the individuals that get punished? A lot of people say, well, why should the club be punished uh, for a few idiots that uh, cause whatever disruption it is. Can you just explain why the club also cops a penalty in these situations and we've seen it all over the world? Yeah, it is harsh at times, but at the same time, a club does have a responsibility with its active supporter group to have a strong relationship. And that relationship also revolves around club behaviour. And sometimes the club is powerless to stop idiots. And it's not just in uh, football it's in all codes i mean you can't account for for idiots and when people do stupid things like shout out derogatory derogatory statements at at sporting games in any code i mean the club is the one who who ultimately cops it um but they can't really control it in that sense but i think when you have a a large active supporter group you have to have a strong relationship and it's paramount in the a-league these supporter groups on the whole have added a lot to Australian football. Let's not forget the great moments of the Melbourne victory, mm. the great moments of Western Sydney Wanderers when they were winning grand finals and winning derbies and there's massive crowds and everyone's going nuts and you sit there in the grandstand and go, wow, how good's this? That's fantastic. But at the same time, you can't allow for these people to carry on in the manner in which they did. And that relationship is really important to have a knowledge of which people are in the supporter base and if there are things going on, which there have been for a number of years, to weed them out. And perhaps a couple of clubs who have um, people who do this regularly have not Mm. been weeded out quickly enough. And this hopefully puts a stop to it and forces clubs to be well and truly on top of this sort of behaviour to ensure it doesn't happen again because they know if they're not, they are going to cop it financially and uh, in the sporting sense as well. Is, is part of it also punishing the club as well? Is it, is it meant to be a deterrent to the fans? So, okay, if you're going to carry on, the club that you love is going to, punish, is going to suffer. Yeah, the, the problem here is I don't think these people are actual fans. That's the issue, right? Is that some of these people, these, the, the hooligans who ran onto the field, they're not actually supporters. They just want to cause trouble. So that's the issue you have here. Do they actually care about the game? I don't think those people who ran onto the field actually cared about the team or about, or about the game. They care about themselves. They care about being part of this movement, which is antisocial, and it's the minority. But they don't care about what actually goes on with the team. Uh, maybe a few do, but I think on the whole, mm. they just love being a part of something that's a bit of a gang in a way. Um, and, you know, if they want to sit there and, and create that active supporter vibe at, at games, that's fantastic. We relish that and encourage that. But when they go beyond, like they did uh, in the Melbourne Derby, well, they're not welcome at games. And, yes, it is um, certainly on the, the club to try and ensure these people aren't part of their supporter base, as difficult as it may be. So it was also announced yesterday that uh, the FFA are going to set up a task force. They're going to look at, you know, Aspects of crowd behaviour, including the, the smuggling in of flares to stadiums. How difficult is that going to be to police, to, to try and make sure they don't get smuggled in? 
I mean, that seems like that's going to be hard work. They need to look at it, but it's going to be hard. I'd imagine so. I've never seen a flare in my life, Jules, apart from on a boat. So I don't know what they look like or how you go about bringing them in anyway. Um, I no desire. I don't understand why people do have a desire to bring them in. But yes, they need to get on top of that. And that's the sad part of all of this is that, as I said before, it's such a, a competitive advantage of the A-League and football in this country when you have the active supporter groups. They add so much colour and fanfare and music to games. Um, but the issue they've had for many a year is the relationship with police. And the authorities have implored police to understand that football culture is different to other sports and to let fans behave in what may be a different way to some other codes in the country. But then they go and do that nonsense at the Melbourne Derby and then all of a sudden police have to be more vigilant and they have to um, impose more threats and have more of a presence that perhaps stops some of the active supporter group. And so you dial it all back again and you're back to square one and then the fans get frustrated and the games don't look as colourful and you've got this whole overriding issue. But you have to do it because you can't have the incident that we had in the Melbourne Derby. So it's just a constant problem that unfortunately has taken us three, four steps back. I must admit, I was surprised. I just expected that Melbourne City would be handed the three points from that derby. Now they're going to... Replay is not the right word. They're going to recommence the game uh, from the 22nd minute in April. uh, City winning 1-0. Is that... Did that surprise you? That did a little bit, yeah. That was the part I read and I went, wow, that's that's interesting. That's unique. Um, but it's a big game. Hey, maybe the broadcaster had a say. It's a Melbourne derby. They pay a lot of money. And uh, they would want a full 90 minutes of a Melbourne derby. Maybe they said, no, we'd like this game to be played again. And everyone agreed, all right, well, that's important for everyone too. So there's a lot of factors involved in a decision like that. I don't mind it, but I was surprised by it. Yeah, that surprised me as well, and that's uh, coming through pretty strongly on our 40 Winks uh, temper text. Garvey, thanks for your time, uh, just summing that all up for us, and uh, we'll speak again soon, and uh, once we speak next time, it'll be more positive in the world of football, I hope. Let's hope so. But just on this, just to finish, Jules, like, you know, this does not sum up the game in Australia on the whole. It sums up some idiots at a couple of clubs in the ultras of of the A-League. That's it. The game on the whole, fans are largely well-behaved be it a junior level, be it Socceroos, be it Matildas. The game's over a million people involved in this country. And, you know, we shouldn't let the actions of a few idiots tarnish the entire game, which has led to some of the commentary around it in, in recent times. That's been disappointing. I think we should maintain some sort of perspective on that. Yeah, well said, Garby. Uh, thanks for your time. We'll talk again soon. Daniel Garb, football commentator, football journalist, discussing the Melbourne victory. Alan, stick on the line. We'll get to you on the other side. He wants to have his say on the Melbourne victory. This is mornings for Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel in stock now. Red Energy, owned by Snowy Hotel. Live on SEN and a dedicated channel all day on the SEN app. Tomorrow's car is in stock today. Tech drive the Hyundai Tucson turbo diesel all-wheel drive. Mornings on SEN. Welcome back to the show, or if you're joining us for the first time, uh, welcome, beautiful Melbourne Day, uh, Julian Stoop with you. Uh, big first hour, we've been talking great sporting feuds just off the back of Prince Harry releasing the book today where he's been throwing 
Barb's left, right and centre at the Royal Family. Also spoke to Daniel Garb about the punishments handed out to the Melbourne victory yesterday after those chaotic scenes at the Melbourne Derby back on the 17th of December uh, last year. Also coming up on our McCafe menu, uh, Ballon Barisha will join us, our Melbourne City star. He's come over, he's on loan from a League One club in France and uh, doing some great things in the A-League. And we'll preview the Hockey World Cup, which gets underway very shortly in India with former Kookaburra's captain, uh, Mark Knowles. But it's all happening on the Gold Coast at the moment. It's the magic millions time, the who's who of racing uh, up on the Gold Coast. And uh, day one, fair to say a bit going on, $36.3 million was traded with 134 yearlings sold at an average price of $271,343. That was a clearance rate of 83%. One man, along with his family that was splashing the cash, was our very own Wayne Hawks, who joins us from the Gold Coast. Hello, Wayne. Morning, Julian. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Got any money left? Um, no, not for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I not expect you be uh, shouting coffees any time soon. Not a chance at all, but <laughs> your shout uh, for around the next few weeks. Uh, weather's good up here anyway, I can, uh, I, I can say that. But uh, I'll tell you what, the, uh, the, the biggest minus, <clears throat> excuse me, about being a racehorse trainer is you get up so early. So then you come to the Magic Millions, and when the sun starts peering through the windows at 4.30 in the morning, does your head in because... We, when the sales are on, we actually carry on like normal people where we get up in normal hours and we work all day and then we go out on a, at, at night and uh, yeah, but uh, when the, uh, when, when, when the sun peers through from 4.30 onwards, it's certainly hard to, uh, to have a sleep in, but uh, it was certainly well worth it yesterday, that's for sure. Absolutely. I'll get to the sales in a minute and what your team uh, purchased okay. uh, yesterday, yep. but uh, they, there is an old saying, don't work with children and animals. And the launch is always spectacular <laughs> up on the beach there on the Gold Coast. But just went a little bit awry yesterday when a couple of the horses thought, yeah, nah, not for me. Going to run in the water and then I'm going to run through the streets. There's a bit going on up there. Quite, quite amazing. Every <clears throat> every Tuesday before the Magic Millions, they always have the uh, the horses galloping on the beach. And if you've never seen it, it's certainly worth just coming here for, to see that because it is quite spectacular. When I was a kid, we in Adelaide we used to take the horses down to Brighton Beach and and we'd canter them on the beach on a on a on a slow day, like just having a jog around the block. We'd take them down the beach and then we'd wade them in the water. And <clears throat> excuse me, I remember doing that from when I was very very young. And can't do any of that now because uh, of counter restrictions. And you imagine you, Julian, you got your wife, you got your dog, you walk in long, and I come belting past on a horse. <laughs> Back in the day, we could. No, this is true. Back in the day, we could do that. But we can't do it now. So you look at the concept of what they are allowed to do with the council, and that's to put a heap of horses and let them canter down in front of all the crowd. It's certainly uh, spectacular. And if you haven't seen it, Google it, YouTube it. I'm not, I'm not a internet person much. So uh, <clears throat> people that are listening, you know what I'm getting at. Get on there and have a look because it is absolutely spectacular. Yeah, it's beautiful. To see the Gold Coast Beach and uh, the horses. So what happened was the three horses in front were got too close to waves and the wave came and I think half crashed and then uh, right, right at the wrong time and the three riders fell off. So they caught one straight away but two others ended up uh, bottom of Cavill Avenue down on the Gold Coast Highway. So <laughs> no one... Uh, no one, and more importantly, no horses were hurt. The vets looked after the horses and checked them over thoroughly. So it was just a uh, 
it was just a com- yeah, the old computer glitch gone had gone terribly wrong, so they say. <laughs> but uh, front page of the uh, the Brisbane paper, front page of the Gold Coast paper here this morning. So I suppose uh, if you look at Harvey Norman, they do so much advertising around Australia from you know from you name it. Harvey Norman uh, do a stack of sponsorship, let alone their own advertising. They've just got front page yep. of uh, many a paper for free. So there's a famous jockey back in the 90s called Shane Dye, and he said, any publicity is good publicity. Mm. So uh, I'm sure Katie Page Harvey would be rubbing her hands together in a roundabout way, making a positive <laughs> out of a negative. But to be honest, there was about 21 horses, and my wife was there, and she actually videoed, uh, vid- videoed half of it. And didn't uh, you know? Didn't even realise what was uh, what what was actually happening. My my family were right there, and it was right at the end where where they pulled up. So one leading Sydney jockey told my <laughs> wife that uh, the problem is there was twenty one horses, and there was just too many horses for the narrow strip that they had. Because remember, everyone else is on the beach as well, and they're behind fences, so behind mesh fences, so they couldn't get to the horses. So. I reckon next year the twenty-one number will probably drop back to an eight or ten, and it'll be uh, it'll be how it uh, how it used to be. So, but it was a bit of uh, bit of fun and games there for ten minutes, and it's happened before, and it'll happen again. I mean, they're animals. Yep. On the last last Saturday at the Gold Coast, that's that's another one you want to YouTube. There was the uh, the horse that uh, jumped the fence. Yes, that's right. And ended up in the uh, ended up in the drink. Now that now the thing is, what we used to do was we used to have. Steel uprights, and the uprights used to be belted in by sledgehammers when they moved the rail. And then you had the, the aluminium running rail, which was light. So now because of OH&S, it's all plastic. So it is designed to literally, if a horse hits it, not even hard, you, like put it this way, I could, I could run through it, you could run through it. And that's the whole idea of it, to make it no H&S mm. better for horse and rider. So when you see these horses getting loose, like on Saturday at the races, people think, wow, couldn't they keep them in? Well, that's why they don't, yeah, yeah. because it's they there to uh, actually look after. Correct. So the poor horse ended up going for a swim, but it was pretty odd here on Saturday. <laughs> so it was obviously smart thinking from the horse, but um, they've certainly, it's an amazing week what what they've done here at Magic Millions. And it rolled, and the sales started yesterday, but the pre, the week before, there's so much happening here for two weeks at the Magic Millions. And, I've been coming here for 20 years, you know, straight after Christmas. And you can't, I mean, fair income, you can't even get into McDonald's to get a quarter pounder. Seriously. <laughs> it is amazing. Every restaurant is chock-a-block. No, Gareth, Gareth would have found a way. Every, <laughs> our own Gareth Hall has been here running around. I had the pleasure of, uh, he had, well, I had the pleasure or he had the pleasure. I'm not sure. He had the pleasure of sitting on our table yesterday and he, he thoroughly enjoyed uh, sitting there for uh, four hours yesterday afternoon. But, McDonald's, it is out of control up here. I've never, ever seen the Gold Coast so busy. So uh, we can always slip into McDonald's and get a quarter pounder. I've uh, been uh, alias to doing that a few times. But restaurants are just chock-a-block. You cannot get a hotel room. I think it's the post-COVID. See, this time last year, we were still having to do QR checks to check in and check out and, and everything like that. So it seems like forever, ever ago, but it was only someone reminded me earlier uh, or late last week and said, remember, everyone's only just getting back to normality up here. So I think everyone has just come and embraced the Gold Coast, not not, not just for the Magic Millions, but if you look at it from a, a Derby Day, an Oaks Day, you know, the big Golden Slipper Days in Sydney and Stradbroke Day in Brisbane, Magic Millions Day would be one of the top six or seven race days, Caulfield Cup, Cox Plate. Magic Millions isn't 
the race that the Caulfield Cup and the Cox Plate is, but the day itself is huge. And this Saturday, everyone will be tuned in to watch the uh, the Gold Coast races. So to be fair to Katie Page Harvey from the famous Harvey Norman uh, stable, they've done an amazing job with this uh, with this concept that started 30 years ago from just a bit of fun and games to turning it into a uh, unbelievable for what they do for the Gold Coast, uh, you know, for the Gold Coast uh, what was it? community, I suppose, because mm. one thing that happens on the Gold Coast, Julian, is they don't produce stuff. They don't export much out of the Gold Coast. So a lot of it is very, very tourism-based. Yes. So they've done an amazing, amazing job with what they've done, the Harvey Norman people. And it's only going to get bigger. I'll talk to you that in a second. A couple of nice ones off our 40 Wings tempo. A bit of comedy here. Will there be a Magic Million Street race next year to rival the Supercars Gold Coast 500? <laughs> and at least the buyers will know that those horses that escaped will be good at getting out of the gates. Now, Tell me about this uh, cult you purchased yesterday, the Hawks uh, stable, uh, out of I Am Invincible and former Glamour race mare Moss Fun. $1.65 million. Just take us through how the, the bidding unfolded and uh, I guess the excitement that you've been able to purchase this cult. Well, <clears throat> to be fair, we uh, we trained I'm Invincible, the stallion, for uh, for three starts and we trained uh, this horse's mother, Moss Fun, to win a golden slipper. She was bought out of the Sydney Easter sales for 80000 And so to turn an $80,000 filly into the best two-year-old filly of the year was certainly uh, certainly an amazing, amazing filly. It was like winning a grand final. That's exactly what it was. And so this horse is by the leading champion stallion in Australia, I'm Invincible. Mum was a champion two-year-old. So mum was Cathy Freeman, let's say, and dad was Wayne Carey in footy terms. That's how this cold is bred. So he, when we saw him in, on inspection time, he was just mouth-watering. This was lining up at the draft and, and knowing that you had the round one, uh, you know, not sewn up because it's a public auction, but you had the firepower to have a crack at him and he was no, he, he is the number one draft pick. I don't <laughs> think there'll be a better... Well, I, I know there won't be a better horse sold. There might be a more pricier horse sold, but I would probably doubt that as well, so... I reckon 1.65 will be the uh, the record this year, but he just he just does class. I mean, he genuinely looked like your absolute. You know, you know, some years in the draft, Julian, where they look a very even bunch, and you know, there's a couple of standouts. This horse was the um, was the ants pants. So, so what are you, what are you looking when for you go, what, 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 when you say that for right. for the the layman? When you say that look the ants pants, what are you seeing? What, you, what you're doing is you're looking at the Jenny Craig ad, the reverse, because it shows them when they were overweight, and then it shows them when they've lost 30 kilos. This is the complete reverse. Right, yep. You're looking at this horse when he's one year of age. You were wondering where I was going there, wasn't you? You're looking at him when he was one, bit. One, at, at, <laughs> at one year of age. Johnny was on the right dumb now. button. You, you're looking at him right now. You're visual, visualizing how he is going to look. This horse was is just ripped. He is the Brad Pitt. He is the George Clooney. <laughs> whoever, whoever the girl's favourite is, he is it. I He's mean, Chris Hemsworth, so isn't he? Chris Hemsworth. There's another name. Uh, local uh, Byron Bay boy. So at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you've got the huge family tree and the huge pedigree of what I just said. Then you go and look at the individual itself and you just go, holy hell, this is the number one draft pick. And, and it's an opinion. Like as the AFL draft is an opinion, and we all have one. But this horse really, really stood out, and I'd argue that uh, no one could look, could have looked at this horse and said, 
ah, yeah, I'm not quite sure about him or whatever, because he there's no such thing as the perfect thing, Julian, but he is very, very close. Now, you're saying, of course, I'm just going to say that you just bought him, da 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 I don't need to say that. We've already secured him, so it doesn't matter. But he is that close to perfect. So you've ticked all the boxes. Now it's actually the hard part, The uh, mm-hmm. besides paying for him. The hard part <laughs> is going home, breaking him in to be taught to ride, educating him. And to be honest, hopefully he might be back here for a uh, $3 million race, Magic Millions next year, and or realistically heading towards what his mum did and win the biggest two-year-old race in the world in the Golden Slipper. So that's it in a nutshell. Now, if you went and asked Dennis Pagan or you asked Kevin Sheedy or Alistair Clarkson, why did you pick that pick? Sometimes they will say, I don't know. There was just something about that mm-hmm. kid I just can't put into words. Now, this quite often is like it with a horse. You... You can often just can't put things in, can't put things in the words, but with this horse, he just was the absolute uh, the, the the pinnacle. So you won't see a better yearling than him this uh, this calendar year. He, he he will be there as good as any. And then, as I said, with the pedigree to back it up, you might see as good a sort, but then the, he won't have the pedigree to back mm. it up. So when this horse ticked every box that you had to tick, well, that's why the uh, the price was uh, was what it was and. To be honest, I thought he could have made more. I thought he could have had a two in front of him. So I don't know whether we would have been there at two, but uh, <laughs> do, do you know what the amazing thing is? You don't have to worry GST, about it. Well, the, no, the GST is 165000 uh, <laughs> I'd be more than happy with the GST, let me tell you. That's right. Now, given, I like your footy analogies there. It's, it's a nice way of explaining it. So just, just to take that a little bit further, given that uh, the cult, uh, sorry, the, the the sire and the race mare you trained. Are you pushing for a sort of a stallion slash race mare slash cult, sort of like a father-son rule? We can get some sort of discount on your 1.65 million? No, no, there's no, uh, there's no, uh, there's no, there's no discount there from a, from a father-son, from a father-son rule. But with with this horse, what he was, what he's bought for is to try, try and be a great race horse. If he does what his mother does, he will be worth $30 million. So 1.65 to try and turn to $30 million is a gamble. And does it happen? It happens to one or two colts a year. And some years, not even at that amount of money to turn him into $30 million. We had a horse uh, three or four years ago called Ole Kirk, and he was Black Caviar's nephew. He ended up going to stud being worth $35 million and he cost 650000 So it's certainly, it's certainly, yes, but that's when the job's done. Yeah. Once you won the grand final and you're holding up the, uh, the trophy, it actually makes things much, much easier after the, uh, after the event. So the whole thing is the owners, the clients have, uh, have tipped in the money to try and turn this colt into a uh, record-breaking stallion, have him standing at uh, huge odds. Incidentally, Ole Kirk stands for 50000 plus GST. He had about 230 girlfriends, of which he got about 200 in foal. Yep, so do the math. It's uh, 50 times 200. You're, you're, getting a, you're getting a massive income back. Albeit, to be fair, this is the top of the tree stuff. Yep. But when you're paying 1.65, 
that's what you're trying to end up with the top of the tree stuff. You mentioned how big it is now, the Magic Millions, but it's only going to get bigger. So there's a $63 million upgrade at the Gold Coast Turf Club, which is going to include lights, so Friday night racing. For next year, for yes. example, uh, the two-year-old Classic and the three-year-old Guineas marquee races will have their prize pool boosted by $1 million each, and there's going to be even more increases by 2025. So this is becoming just huge on a worldwide status. Correct. The the announcement, and they're very good at making the announcements uh, two days before, three days before the sale. So that's certainly going to bolster owners wanting to, uh, to tip in again. The end result is they're going to have, in two years' time, they, they are currently have started to fix up the Gold Coast Turf Club, uh, Gold Coast Racetrack. They will race on a Friday night. They're going to have six races on the Friday night and then back up uh, on the Saturday with about eight races. There's going to be $20 million in 2025. The, the weekend of racing is going to be worth $20 million. Now, I don't I don't know that there'd be another race meeting worth $20 million. There might be a race worth $20 million, but a race meeting worth $20 million, as you said, that is world-class stage. And Melbourne Cup's uh, $8 million, Julian, if you put that in perspective. Mm. So, and I reckon there'd be $12, $14 million maybe on Melbourne you know, over, uh, what would it be? 25 million over cup week, I would have thought. So this is how big it is and it puts it in, into perspective. $20 million for a Friday night and a Saturday and cup week might be 30 odd million dollars yep, in prize huge. money. So it's massive. So it's going to be a huge spectacle because the sales start on the Tuesday. So it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Friday night races, Saturday races. And then, um, and then the famous Saturday night after the last, everyone just rolls back and, the last couple of years, they've uh, no ticket to get in, pretty much no entry because you get a lot of people that go to the races all day and then they come back to the uh, sales complex and they uh, have a few and then people decide to stick their hand up and be a smart-ass. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> which is not much fun. Yeah, surprise! <laughs> I just bought a $400,000 horse with no credit, no nothing. And has it happened before? Yes, it has. Yep. And it does stuff up the sales. So, it's uh, yeah, there's going to be races on the Friday night, Saturday, and then the sales will continue through the middle of it. So... Big, big, uh, big stuff for big players. But the thing about it is, though, is that they've gone, hang on, this is not just for the big players. There are new races set up that are going to be for syndicates of 20 or more. So some of those syndicates that you see advertised to buy a small micro share, they can now race in big, big prize money races. So they are also not just looking after the big guy, they're also trying to look after the small guy. So come to the Magic Millions and you've got, Range from zero right through to one point six five million. Unbelievable, uh, Wayne. Thanks for joining us this morning. Now, will you be back with us next week in studio? I I will be back in studio next week. What's your, what, give, look- what's your coffee order? You're strapped for cash at the moment. I'll get you one. What do you have? Um, um, double macchiato with a bit of cold milk. That's uh, that, that, that's my go-to. Uh, <laughs> Very nice. Looking, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. It's, it's a beautiful scene here, and I, I certainly don't uh, don't want to go home, but. I've got uh, just before you go, just quickly. I, uh, I, you have to have a buyer's code, and, and before the sale was starting, the auctioneer said, "Everyone needs to get their buyer's code. Please don't forget." I went, "Ah, forgot oh, no. to get it." So off I go. I walk in there, and there's some girl in there I don't know, and she goes, "Do you have your driver's license?" I said, "No." She said, "Do you have anything at all?" I said, "No." <laughs> she said, "Do you, do you realise that you're you're have you done your trading terms?" I said, "Well, I never normally do." She said, "Well, do you realise that you have to pay on the day?" I said, "Where's Stuart, the financial controller?" <laughs> she said, "Well, he's in a meeting." Now this is factual. She said, "Where's uh, where?" 
I said, where's Stuart? She said, well, he's actually in a meeting. I said, well, you go and tell Stuart that he better bring me back pretty quick because I'm going to go and do some business and we better sort this. I actually texted Stuart and he rang me straight, straight away and said, is there any problems? I said, yeah, you better, your girl's only doing her job, but she wants my driver's license and her credit reference and everything. He said, you just go and play ball and do what you do and I will do what I do. So uh, I haven't seen Stuart yet, but that will be a, certainly a, uh, a little bit of fun to uh, have a bit of a joke about. So. Oh, failing to prepare is preparing to fail, Wayne. You need to remember that uh, for next time. Hey, thanks so much for, for taking our call and uh, enjoy the rest of the time up there on the Gold Coast. See you, mate. Thanks. Great to have Wayne Hawks on the show. Let's get to a break on mornings for Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel. It's in stock now. Maya Frankston doors are closing on January 15th. Hurry in now for huge markdowns across... Mornings on SEN. Welcome back to the show. There was a couple of quarterfinals in the League Cup over in England this morning. Uh, Manchester United defeated Charlton 3-0. A couple of late goals there to Marcus Rashford. Uh, at Old Trafford and Newcastle's good season continues. They defeated fellow Premier League team Leicester 2-0 at home. So both of those teams through to the semi-finals. Let's talk a bit of footy now. As we know, both te- uh, all teams are back in training. And as we said before, David King, of course, SEN, Fox Footy, uh, former North Melbourne superstar, likes to go around at this time of the year in his role as an analyst and just see uh, what the teams are doing Uh you know, this month and any sort of changes or positional changes, how they're training. So he's been doing that uh, this week. And uh, he was on with Dwayne Russell yesterday and, and went through quite a few different clubs. But uh, let's start with uh, Kingy talking about how this is such an important month for clubs to potentially set up their season. I think when you look back, in, you know, at the end of the year, we all look back and, and, and then we play the audio of Chris Scott talking about how last pre-season Geelong approached the, 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 the off-season with a blank canvas. Reset, you know, different tasks, different players. They they changed their game style considerably. We all know they were prepared to be maybe a bit more vulnerable defensively to, to score more. They felt they'd lost some ground on the competition come the very, very pointy end of the year. And this is a team that's been incredibly successful. So if it's good enough for Geelong to do that, given their last decade, then I'd be suggesting that every team in the competition now, every coaching panel in the comp in this off-season will be doing similar things. So I guess the art of what we do is to get out there and have a look and see if you can identify some of those things ahead of time. And um, it's, it's hard to do, uh, clearly, because uh, you, you don't see the full complement of players out there often. You, you might hit a session that's not as meaningful as another, um, but we're out there having a look. And as you said, I was at Essendon yesterday, and it's good to see they're, they're pretty healthy uh, out there and, and rolling. And, and uh, yeah, you, you learn a thing or two. So as he said at the end there, David King was out at Essendon on Monday, and uh, he expanded on what he saw out at the hangar. Oh, I think when you look at uh, what we learned with Essendon yesterday is, you know, much of probably what we already know, um, I'm looking forward to some scrimmage games to see where they actually play Dyson Heppel. You know, we know McGrath's probably going to go to halfback. Where does Nick Cox, who's missed a little bit of preseason, he was back out there yesterday, where does he actually line up under Brad Scott's plan? It looked like they were training some more zoning-type defensive play instead of being, you know, rusted on one-on-one uh, defensive units. So that'll be great for players like, you know, Laverde and Redmond and, and, and obviously Ridley, who's... You know, they've been challenged to, to, to be 
to be an unbelievable defence given a tidal wave coming at them more often than not. So I think there's there's drastic change there. You know, there will be obviously drastic change with Brad Scott taking over Essendon, Ross Lyon back at St Kilda, Alistair Clarks and the Kangaroos. Um, that that's probably the, the simple uh, look at it at the moment. And then you see who's not on the track. I, I do think that these this month or six week block of football in terms of pre-season training, is as critical as any to all these top-line players to not give their opposition an advantage through fitness or preparation. I've never seen a player miss December and January and come out and have a, a, a an outstanding All-Australian-type season. You just don't see it. So you want to see him on the track um, more often than not. Yeah, a couple of uh, Essendon, just to keep an eye on, Darcy Parrish has been sort of in there. Uh, rehab group for about a month now. So he, not sure what's going on with Darcy. And Harry Jones as well has been a bit on and off the track. So a couple of Essendon uh, to keep your eye on. I think Kingy makes a good point. If you don't get that base in, the game is so hard these days that you don't really uh, bounce back. And we saw Melbourne after that 2018 season have all those surgeries and just they just never got going uh, the following year. So you've got to make sure you get the work in at this time of the year. Uh, Richmond. Another club that are really interesting. Obviously, uh, a couple of big-name recruits coming in, in uh, Tim Taranto and uh, Jacob Hopper. And uh, Kingy's pretty pretty confident the Tigers are still a, a contender going into 2023. 100% they are. And you look at what they were able to, to, to get in the, the off-season. I mean, the talent that's walking the door there, they're just going to hit the ground running. And Taranto, we, we, we know a lot about him. He's that, he's that perfect centre-forward player that uh, Damien Harbick uh, loves. And Hopper's just a bull. He's just a, a clearance winner. It's been Prestia or bust as a clearance player at, at Richmond, and he's been heavily impacted over the last few years through injury. So to get to get Jacob Hopper in, who I think's only 25 years of age, is an absolute boom. And I think Taranto's about the same. He may actually even be younger than Hopper. So they've got two guys that are in their prime that are going to be there for a, a long period of time. And this whole host of youngsters that... Uh, they're about to take control, having learnt the ropes uh, off the Rewalt, Cochin, Shane Edwards types. So that was Kingy on Richmond. So it's a nice little uh, little precinct there. If you're an analyst, you want to go and watch training, you could go to Punt Road, and then you just pop across uh, Olympic Boulevard there, and you can watch the Demons. Of course, all the talk there is Brody Grundy and Max Gorn. Uh, David King gave his thoughts on that duo. I love what Melbourne have done. You know, if, if you're going to be a, a clearance-based, contest-based team, then then you, you you go after you go after another ruckman to give Max some, some assistance. I think they've looked at what Geelong have done with the, the use of Stanley as the ruckman, then floating centre back and freeing up a defender for that intercept marking. I think that'll be what Max Gorn does. Max will probably do some centre bounce work and be the ruckman centre back, and I'd expect Grundy to play the Blitzarves type role and be that that ruckman centre forward or a roaming possession gathering ruckman. Um, different to Blitzarves because he can tag. You'd think mm. Grundy would just be the possession winner, but but I love I love the weaponry that now Simon Goodwin's going to have, and you know, you're going to have Gorn or, or, or Grundy tapping the ball to Petrarca. Oliver, Viney, uh, they'll be back. But they, they had a few things go wrong last year. They weren't at their absolute best last year, despite being around the mark. Uh, they'll be back in 23. So Kingy watches the Tigers, then he watch, he wanders over and watches the Demons at Gosh's Paddock. Then he might just pop into Swan Street, grab a latte, and then wander up and watch the Magpies uh, on the track. Uh, he was asked whether the Pies can back up 
their stellar 2022 season this year? Of course they can. Of course they can. I had a look at some of their numbers last year. So they won 16 games last year and they were behind at three-quarter time <laughs> in 11 of those. And they won seven of those 11. That's an unbelievable percentage. That's you know, 60, 65% odd uh, when the AFL average is closer to uh, 15 uh, to 17%. So th- that's going to have to change. So what, what does Craig McRae alter in 2023 that still keeps them defensively sound but ensures that they're, they're actually able to dictate terms across four quarters, not just rely on all power, all corridor, all aggression uh, in the final term. Clearly it worked last year, and they were brilliant. When they were on, there was no better team to watch. Uh, but the competition are ready for them now. They're ready for that, that, that really aggressive ball movement profile when it's required. Um, so it won't have the same effect this year. So what will Craig McRae do? Well, we'll talk in a couple of weeks and hopefully we'll have some answers. So that was Kingy on the Magpies. Then what he does, he goes and gets another latte, jumps in his, he's probably still getting a Mazda from North, given everything he achieved at North Melbourne. Then he goes down to Princess Park and has a look at the Blues. And he's, he's a bit worried with Carl, about the Blues uh, without Sam Walsh. Oh, I think it's all on Walsh. Oh, I think he's their most important play. I mean, I know they've got some assets up forward and they've got the Brownlow medalist, but this, this guy separates games. He's he's the spark player that, that they need. He's the ball carrier. He's the beautiful kick going inside 50. It'll be critical how much football he misses and, and, and how he comes back. I mean, his first his first two to three weeks, will will be given some grace, but then they're almost going to have to do a mini pre-season with him in season. So I guess we wait and see. But he's their most important player. They're not going far without a fit, healthy Sam Walsh. Thoughts on that, Blues fans? Is he your most important player? There's a few to choose from at Carlton. You could say Wiedering, you could say Mackay, you could say Kerno, you could say Cripps. Uh, is it Sam Walsh? Uh, you can give us a call or send us through a temper text, 0433 Now, weather update for City Power. Now, if King is driving out there today and watching some training... Slip, slop and slap, David. Uh, City Power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. Sunny top of 32 today. This is mornings for Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel in stock now. 100% Aussie-owned Red Energy, providing the choice of green power to homeowners. Live on SEN and a dedicated channel all day on the SEN app. Tomorrow's car is in stock today. Tech driver Hyundai Tucson turbo diesel all-wheel drive. Mornings on SEN. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoop with you on a stunning Melbourne morning. Going to talk to Mark Knowles in a sec, uh, former Kookaburras captain about the Hockey World Cup, which gets underway in India in two days' time. But uh, some breaking news. The squad has just been named for the Test Series in India in February and March. It's an 18-man squad. I'll read through it. We can take some reaction uh, after we speak to Mark Knowles. So the team is Pat Cummins, Steve Smith, Ashton Agar, Scott Boland, Alex Carey, Cameron Green, Peter Hanscom, Josh Hazelwood, Travis Head, Usman Khawaja, Marnus Labashane, Nathan Lyon, Lance Morris, Todd Murphy, Matt Renshaw, Mitch Stark, Mitchell Swepson, and David Warner. So that is the squad uh, for India. Just take that in. Have you got any thoughts about some of those selections? Uh, are you happy with that? Or someone that's not selected that you thought should have been? Uh, you can give us a call, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 As we said, 
quite a few times lately. It's a huge year in sport uh, for World Cups. Uh, we've got the T20 Women's World Cup in cricket, the 50-over World Cup uh, in men's cricket. We've got a Rugby World Cup. We've got a Basketball World Cup for the men. And But the, the one that starts first is the Hockey World Cup in India. The Kookaburras are the favourites, uh, and their former captain, Mark Knowles, has been good enough to join us. Morning, Mark. Jules, how are you, mate? Very well. Uh, very well. Exciting times, as always, uh, with a World Cup. Um, five debutants uh, in the squad. Just take us through how strong you think this squad is for the Kookaburras. Yeah, it's an extremely strong squad. I think uh, they've prepared very well over the last couple of years. Certainly Colin Batch, a uh, highly experienced coach. And I think the playing group, uh, you know, led by the co-captains, Aaron Zorowski and, and Eddie Ockenden, just playing his 400th game uh, <laughs> last month for the Kookaburra. Unbelievable. It's, uh, it is unbelievable. Uh, they're a very, very good team. And, you know, even the five debutants, they're, they're all... You know, very experienced. Four years ago with the World Cup was a long time ago. Um, you know, so they are a very, very experienced team. Where does a World Cup rate in terms of importance in hockey? You know, it's an Olympic sport. It's a Commonwealth Games sport. You've got Champions Trophy as well. Where does the World Cup sit? Yeah, right at the top. The Olympics are, you know, in terms of the pinnacle, pinnacle of sport uh, for an Olympic sport, you know, the Olympics are... Uh, just just above the World Cup, but it's something that you know, sports specific. A lot of people have the argument that maybe the World Cup is, or sorry, definitely the World Cup is harder to win the with than the Olympics. It's sixteen nations, not twelve. Um, you know, it's sports specific, um, but I think certainly the World Cup and the Olympics are right at the top for for hockey, and, and and you know, one of the reasons why they've prepared. You know, after the absolute heartbreak in 2021 in Tokyo, losing the Olympic gold match in shootouts, it's why this team has stayed together. Um, it's why they've, you know, they've they've fought so hard. They've they've been disrupted as as many many sports have been, but they've stuck together. And there's been no retirements. Um, as I said, it's a very experienced squad, but it's just full of absolute quality as well. So the Australians, uh, the Kookaburras in Pool A, uh, France, Argentina and South Africa make up the rest of the pool. On paper there, what, what do you think is the most tricky assignment? Uh, Argentina are the, are the toughest assignment there. Uh, I think they're number five in the world at the moment. They're Olympic champions from 2016. Um, very, very good team. Been right at the top of the rankings for you know, we're going six, seven, eight years now. France provide a, a tricky challenge. They haven't they haven't been at their best since Tokyo, um, but they're certainly putting so much, you know, funding, so much time and effort before before Paris twenty twenty four in you know, in eighteen months time. So they're a young team. Um, they've been together for a while, they've got a new coach. They'll provide a really interesting European challenge for the guys first up. But I think in the end, the quality that um, the quality that our boys have—they played a practice match overnight against Germany. Um, they've just come off five tests against India, so there's going to be no excuses, absolutely, in this World Cup for these guys. Yeah, Australians go in as the favourites. Uh, they're world number one. Just looking at that, looking at the odds, uh, Belgium is 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 second. Um, do you see Belgium being? I know there's a lot of good teams in. Do you see them being the biggest threat? Yeah, absolutely. They're probably the, you know, they're the best team of the last, um, you know, six or seven years. Although the Kookaburras are number one, most of those guys and, you know, us in hockey would recognise that Belgium are the team that everybody wants to beat at the moment. They're world champions from 2018. They're Olympic champions from 2021. 
So they're the absolute, they're the absolute peak right now. Um, yeah, we've played some different matches. We obviously qualify through Oceania, not through Europe. So there's different ways of gaining world ranking points. But if you ask most of the Kookaburras, they're definitely chasing Belgium, and, and most of the teams are. So it's a big challenge. They've, they've, you know, we've played them in all of the major finals over the last five or six years. So I don't see anything changing there. And, you know, if I was, uh, if I was, if I was looking into it at all, I think one of those two are going to be at the top of the podium in, in a month or so. Speaking to former Kookaburras captain Mark Knowles, the World Cup gets underway in India in a couple of days' time. Uh, Australia in a group with France, Argentina and South Africa. We always talk probably mainly around cricket, but just how different it is playing cricket and I guess to extend that out, playing sport in a place like India with the, the heat, the different culture. What is it like playing playing professional hockey in a place like India? Oh, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, I had the uh, I had the privilege and the opportunity to play in the, the hockey India League for five seasons over there, playing for a franchise. We uh, we won our first World Cup in 26 years um, in um, 2010. We won the Commonwealth Games that year as well. You know, it's been a place that we absolutely love going. I think one of the things with India, which I think has been a massive strength of the Kookaburras in all of our success over there over the past 10, 12 years is you really have to embrace the culture. You have to embrace the people. You have to embrace the food. You have to embrace the way of life because if it becomes a drag for you, you know, sitting in a hotel room with boredom and travel and and the people, that's when your actual performance slides. And, you know, if you're following any of the cookers boys on socials and things like that at the moment, you know, they're in tuk-tuks, they're walking around the street, they're really embracing the environment. And I think that's a really important part of high-performance sport especially. Is, you know, you do, have to, you do have to enjoy the time away with your mates. You know, they're training 50 weeks a year, you know, six days a week, twice a day some days. So if you go away on the tour, you don't want to be on a downer. You no. Be on the up. And I think, uh, I think that's one of the things that the guys have done really well really well with India is that that in embracing the culture and the love of the people and the passion that they have. Um, so I think that's a big thrill, obviously playing in stadiums that are that are absolutely packed, you know, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15. The main stadium for the final is going to hold about 18,000. Yeah. That's some things in hockey that we only get every four years. So yeah. that's, that's part of the love. Yeah, big stadium uh, for the final, which is uh, fantastic. Uh, you, you touched on it before, but the coach Colin Batch talked about 2018 and you know the way that ended in the, in the shootout against uh, the Netherlands has still been a source of motivation for this team. I guess a lot of the sports we talk about on a daily basis, you know, the, the footy codes here in Australia, for example, you know, you get a chance to atone for a loss, you know, the next week. But yep. four years is a long time to wait. Uh, how difficult is that in in a sport like hockey? Whether it's you know you've lost an Olympic match that, uh, you know, maybe might be a final or a World Cup. Then you've got to wait four years to get another crack at it. Yeah, well, I think that also shows the like the determination and the drive and the passion these guys have for playing for their country. Yeah, it is. It's a challenge. We, you know, we get put up in the lights uh, roughly every two years at an Olympics or World Cup or a Com Games on that, on that cycle. You know, so you've got to actually make the most of it when you get the chance to to play in these big tournaments and yeah it, it does it does take the sting out of you losing I know some of the guys are still you know are still dealing with the Tokyo 2021 shootout loss you know before those guys I think there's about 12 12 or 13 of these guys who played at the World Cup in 18 with the bronze 
So yeah, there is motivation there. We come from a we come from a, a kookaburra team who disliked losing for a long, long time, and you know you hold that stuff. You train harder. You you're motivated by it because uh, you want to do it for your mates and your family and for the sport in this country. And this is the guy's opportunity. I think, as I said at the start, they're definitely ready. They've got absolutely enough quality. So the draw, I think, is favourable for for them as well. Um, it's a different World Cup with um, the four groups of four. But they're only playing every three or four days, mm. which is very rare for hockey. You know, the Olympics in Tokyo in 38-degree heat, we played six matches in nine days. Uh, they're they're playing every fourth day here at this World Cup, so they'll play with a lot of intensity, a lot of intensity, and and I think that might you know that'll provide or prove very hard to handle for some of these teams who aren't quite ready for that quality. Yeah, it's a lot more uh, friendly for the players. Uh, Mark, thanks so much uh, for your insights. Uh, the Kookaburras always put up a, a great show. They're one of our most consistent uh, sporting teams, and uh, we can't wait to see them get underway in a couple of days' time. Thanks so much for your time, and enjoy the World Cup. No drama, mate. Thanks very much. Great to have Mark Knowles on the show, former Kookaburras captain. The Aussies get their campaign underway against France in a couple of days' time. So overall, 44 matches in 17 days at the Hockey World Cup. Let's get a breakaway. Uh, we're going to speak to Valon Barisha after the break. But if you've got any thoughts on the selection of the Australian team, the 18-man squad for India, uh, happy to take your calls as well. This is Mornings for Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel. It's in stock now. Every time you buy any award-winning coffee at Coles Express, scan your flybys card and your 10th coffee is free. Well, Melbourne City continue to go from strength to strength in the A-League. They've opened up a six-point gap at the top of the table with a game in hand. One of the big reasons behind their success this season has been midfielder Valon Barisha, and he's been good enough to join us this morning. Morning, Valon. Yeah, morning, morning. How are you? Very well. Uh, just before we get stuck into the way the season's going at the moment, uh, first year in the A-League, uh, obviously first year out in, here in Australia. How have you enjoyed it so far? Uh, I've enjoyed it really well, to be honest. Like Also the team itself and the way uh, they took me in, I, I feel like uh, like home here straight away. So I think that's why also like my performance has been so good because like I just uh, enjoy my football and uh, they let you be who you like, who you are and they let you express yourself on the pitch. And honestly, I just want to help the team. And uh, we are doing really well uh, together. We are playing really good football. And we just I feel like we are just uh, started in a way. Like I think there's much more to come. And uh, the more we play together, the, more, the better the performances will be. So, so far, very good. And also outside the pitch as well, I'm enjoying Melbourne. It's a nice city. And uh, also the people here are very welcoming, very very nice, and it's like a nice atmosphere everywhere you go. So I enjoy it uh, very much. The name Barisha is a famous one here in the A-League, and uh, I think as soon as everyone saw you'd sign for, for Melbourne City, the first question <laughs> being asked, are you related to Bizarre Barisha? Uh, we know you're good friends, uh, and I'm sure he gave you uh, plenty of education about what to expect, I guess, both from the country and also the league. Yeah, uh, we are not related, but uh, like I've said also before, we uh, I know him uh, from national team, and uh, we have kept in contact. And when he saw that I was coming here, he uh, he uh, he looked me up, and we had a chat, and he told me a lot. Of, I already knew a little bit because he always talked very uh, like uh, good about it when he was already playing here, and he came to play with us with the national team, and. Uh, he, I know he enjoyed it very much, but also, of course, because he did really well. He, uh, he scored a lot of goals. He, he played most of his career uh, over here. And uh, 
So for him to then take contact and also like be very gentle with me in that, that sense that if I need something over here or whatever, he was open to help me with, with everything. Uh, and uh, yeah, of course, uh, a very nice gesture from him that I appreciate uh, a lot. Obviously, in the last 24 hours in the A-League, the big news has been that the punishment handed down to Melbourne Victory. Just curious, are you surprised that uh, that game against Melbourne Victory will be restarted and basically almost replayed that match? Did you expect that the three points would be given to Melbourne City? What's been the reaction uh, at the club uh, since that decision was handed down yesterday? Uh, yeah, I just saw it yesterday, to be honest. So I didn't really, we didn't really uh, meet because it was after training uh, when the when it came out later in the evening. So probably we'll talk about it today. But in the way, you cannot do nothing about it, anyways. You can feel however you want to feel about it. But in the end, in the end, is the yeah the APL who decides uh, how it's gonna be ruled and. It's no problem for us. We take every game uh, uh, serious, but of course we would have loved to play that game to the end because we also were in a very good rhythm and uh, we felt like we would have won that game. But in the end, uh, the decision has been made and we are ready for whatever comes our way. Uh, We are in a good groove. We are playing really good football, winning a lot of games. So we just keep doing our work and then the rest uh, will be shown. You've played all around the world. Um, I'm assuming you've never being a part of a match like that. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, I've been in some like uh, heated derbies, but that the, that the fans invade and then also go to, to that measure, I've never experienced. And of course, it should not be, uh, or should have never occurred. And it should also not occur on a football pitch, uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, it's difficult to say, like in 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 a sense, when when it happened, you were like a little bit shocked and like, well, what is going on? But of course, I felt mostly, of course, for for Glover because mm. he also, yeah, got the the bucket on his face, and it could have been really bad. You never know when uh, things like that, wherever they hit you on the, on the head, is uh, something that can be even even worse. So for him, uh, luckily, it was uh, not. Like too bad, so thank God for that, and hopefully it will never happen again in the future. Speaking of Melbourne City midfielder Valon Barisha, um, you know, obviously the season's going really well for you, Valon, top of the table. It hasn't been without some uh, disruption, though. Of course, obviously we're mentioning that uh, derby against Melbourne Victory. Obviously, then the season had a break for the World Cup, and then during the World Cup, you, you lose your manager, Paddy Kuznorbo, is off to, to League One, obviously a league you know very well. Um, but it yeah. doesn't seem to have uh, affected the team at all, losing your manager and uh, Rado Vidasic stepping in. Yeah, uh, to be honest, we, we talked about it, and of course, uh, PK, he was here for a long time, and uh, we don't need to talk about really what he has done. He has done so much for this club, and uh, I was not here before, but just working for him with with him those uh, those months were was uh, amazing he's a great coach and a great personality as well he gives so much from himself but as a team we knew that uh, it's in our hands always you have to push yourself to the limit every day in training to improve and uh, i think in that sense also rado has come in uh, as and he's been very calm he, he knows what mm. he wants and he shows it on the pitch and on the training field every day. And I think the players have adapted really well. And also many players have now also stepped up as a voice on the pitch to, because PK was a, a very big voice. 
Uh, Rado is a little bit different in in the personality, so uh, we knew from the from the beginning that now is the opportunity also for players to step up and to show more character, and I think we have done that uh, very well, to be honest. It's fair to say you've got a red hot striker in your team at the moment. Jamie McLaren's form is is off the charts, <laughs> yeah, to be honest. Uh, in your opi- in your opinion, what what makes Jamie such a, a dynamic player and such a such a good goal scorer? Yeah, for me, for me, he has. Uh, that thing that uh, that you need as a striker, he has that that smell, that feeling for for goals. He's mostly always in a good position. Whenever we have an attack, he's around the goal area, and he like if he knows where the ball is gonna land, even if somebody shoots, even if the, if the deflection is almost always in the right position. So I think that's like his biggest like talent for me, and that's that feeling for goals and knowing where where to go and where to run. Uh, and also, of course, uh, us as a team feeding him as well. But it's mostly him like doing the good runs, always being, always wanting to score goals as well. You have to want to score goals. You have to be involved in the 16 a lot. And he moves around a lot. And like I said, like I feel like every time there is something, the ball is deflecting or it's a nice pass or something, he's in the right position. And that's why he's also scoring goals. So for us, we are very happy to have him in our team. And also, he is a big worker for the team as well he runs a lot like if you see the, the the amount of work rate he does for the team uh, it's not like common for a striker to run so much I think uh, like I played in uh, many different teams and in, uh, in big leagues as well and the strikers mainly focus really on the on the part of just scoring goals but Jamie also puts down a lot of work for the team as well runs defensively and does good pressing on the on their the opponent's defenders so every every if you work for something it will come i think what he does for the team then also gives him the opportunities to score goals as well for the team you weren't here last year as you mentioned but did you feel walking into this group there was just an added determination in this group like so far this season melbourne city were the were the best team for the majority of last season but unlike most leagues in the world, we have a final series here, and ultimately they didn't win the grand final. Have you, have you noticed an added determination uh, in this group from day one to, to to make up for that disappointment of last season? Yeah, I felt already when when I came here. First of all, that they were used to to winning, uh, and that they were a winning team, winning mentality uh, group. So that's also what I am. I. I I hate losing. To be honest, like it's the 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 thing that I hate every day. It's it's not just games. It's training. It's everything. You have to compete to get better. You have to compete in every day because it will be uh, automatically in your system when you don't then go to games. You have it already in you, and I feel like this team has it. Like it's a hunger every day to win, 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 uh, win games in training, win uh, duels, and uh, push each other also in that sense. So. But also, of course, with knowing that they lost the grand final, I felt that a little bit, especially the first game. You could feel it like around the club and also PK and uh, everybody talking about it so much. And that revenge is always going to be in them. And it's pushing us to win two times against them uh, in, uh, yeah, in the league uh, right now. And we have to do it every time we, we meet them because that thing will always be there that they won against them in the final. So... We have to use it to our advantage to always motivate us even more to win, uh, win against, uh, especially Western United, because they won against them in the final. <laughs> Absolutely, but your journey is a is a really interesting one. Born in Sweden, you've played international football for Denmark. You played international football uh, for Kosovo as a teenager. You had you know you had trials at Chelsea, Aston Villa, Man City. I think you were offered contracts at both Villa and Man City, and you knocked them back. It's been a it's been an amazing journey for you. 
yeah, it's, to be honest, from a, for a kid that comes from a, like also when, when you when you we are like my parents are from Kosovo and uh, they immigrated uh, just before the war to of course yeah have a better life or a better opportunity of a better life uh, in uh, in Norway uh, and uh, yeah uh, thank God uh, it, it it went that way and I've been very blessed but also I've dedicated myself to this to this game a lot like I sacrificed a, a lot uh, also when I was young it was mostly school and football and uh, this was something I always dreamt of and always wanted since I'm young and uh, uh, yeah with great sacrifice and a lot of hard work uh, good things come and uh, I'm very blessed to have had this career so far and it's but in 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 my head it's not over yet I feel very young still very fresh and you never know when you're going to have your biggest peak in your career. When you see some players now winning, like even Karim Benzema winning the Ballon d'Or at yep. 34, everything is possible in a way. It's always up to yourself how much you want to put into into your profession. And uh, uh, so I think if you work for it, everything is possible. Uh, for me, also coming here, it was not like many... Like I think also I know that some people are oh, like step down for him uh, or what from Europe, but I didn't take it as that. I took it as a as a challenge for myself, a new adventure, and just come here and show myself and stay fit mainly because I know if I stay fit and healthy, I uh, I, I know what I can do on the pitch. I'm never scared of uh, any challenges when it comes to on the pitch and I'm healthy. So for me, this was also a challenge for myself and it's going very well so far. Hopefully, just yeah, stay healthy and uh, keep, keep doing well here and then you never know what will come in the future. So yeah. It's been a nice one, but also it was very difficult in the beginning. Because as a, as a foreigner, always, uh, it's always you have to put in some more work. And I felt that when I was younger a little bit. But then, of course, uh, also having people around me, you know, it's, it's not just family. It's always somebody that helps you along the way, coaches, teammates. And I'm grateful for all of them who had input uh, on my career. How difficult a decision was it to knock back offers from big Premier League clubs like Manchester City and Aston Villa? Yeah, at that age, I was uh, 14, uh, 14, 15 at that moment. And of course, like also Aston Villa gave me a, a good opportunity as well to go straight at 15 to, to train with the reserves and uh, because I did a very good trial uh, in Aston Villa. And uh, it was like a bigger offer because uh, at City I did also very well, but it was a uh, a good professional offer, but it was not like uh, to go straight to to the reserves. That's like that's very close to being almost uh, at the with training with the first team. So, in that sense, of course, it was a big opportunity. I I don't think a lot of people would have uh, yeah gone the other way like me and uh, you refused not refuse but uh, not take the offer and uh, stay in Norway, finish school and uh, do football there. But for me, it was the yeah. Just being close, closer to family, I, was, I think I was not ready. I could feel it also when the offer came. Like, it was very exciting, but just knowing that it's gonna be, you're going to be alone. You're going to be alone a lot in a very young age, living with uh, different people, different families. Uh, and yeah, for me, I went for a, like a, maybe a safer, safer solution with also just being in Norway and going to school, finishing school, and also just getting that education as well on the side because you never know what can happen. Life. Uh, football is uh, also a game that you can get injuries and a lot of things can happen. 
So I am very happy with my decision, to be honest, because I could play very fast. With 16, I, I got the contract for Viking Stavanger, who was in the first league in Norway. And just playing with men in early age, I think I had more advantage of that than going to an academy, to be honest. Uh, we're speaking to Valon Barisha from Melbourne City. Just before I let you go, just a couple before I let you go, you've played with some amazing players, you know, Sadio Mane, you know Erling Haaland yeah, yeah, yeah. really well, yeah. and obviously he's, he's taken the world of football by storm, and particularly what he's yeah. doing at Manchester City this year. Just give us an insight into the sort of guy that, uh, that Erling Haaland is. Yeah, Erling, I didn't play so much with him like on the pitch because like when I went from uh, Salzburg, he came... Uh, I went to Lazio and he came to Salzburg, but I had the period where I was injured uh, for quite a long time uh, when I was at Lazio and I was doing my rehab in Salzburg because there are some uh, yeah some uh, some guys that I work with there also like professionally every every time I have some injuries I work with them they are very good and at that time I was living in a hotel and uh, I knew him from Norway a little bit. And he asked me to live with him for a while, and I was living with him like two, three weeks, and we got to know each other really, really well. So, as a person, he's always like hungry for more. Like he, he was so professional, the way he took care of himself and eating, sleeping well. But he, he has that fire that everybody has that fire. But I feel like he just has it more. Like he has that mm. thing in his head that he wants to destroy people every day, score as many goals as possible. Like it's just in his head and. Uh, I think you can see he's just become bigger and bigger because the more you do well in bigger teams and bigger leagues, then uh, the more your confidence will grow. And now I think his confidence is in, uh, in the highest that it's ever been. And when you have that confidence, also with going going together with the abilities that he has, it's very scary for defenders to meet a, uh, to meet a striker like that that has crazy abilities, but his confidence is sky high. It's like, Every every time, like I think as a defender, every time he's like close to the goal, you fear for a goal. And when you also fear a defender like you know, a striker like that, for the defense is very very difficult to to handle. So for him, I think it's just bigger things will come uh, in the future. Yeah, he's an amazing player. Just before I let you go, Valon, obviously um, football takes up most of your time. But if you if you had a chance to see much of Melbourne, much of Victoria. Will you go and want watch the tennis, for example, in the next couple of weeks? What have you seen yeah, outside yeah, of the yeah, football for sure, pitch? For sure. for sure, like uh, I, I always drive with uh, with Thomas Lamb to training, so we always uh, like we would like to to see more things of Australia while we're here. And uh, Australian Open, we're gonna go for sure. We already have a ticket for the final, so beautiful. That's something you have to have to experience when you're here, but also just seeing the. The beautiful sights of uh, of Melbourne, for sure. I'm going to see even more, but I've seen some already, especially around the city. But, of course, I will also travel a little bit outside the city to see even the, the, the better parts of uh, the whole of Australia, not only Melbourne. Avalon, uh, great to meet you today. Well done on the season so far. It's been a, a great success so far for Melbourne City. Good luck against the Wanderers on Sunday and, and continued success for the rest of the season. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. And I wish you... Uh, Beautiful day, and hopefully you'll get to enjoy the weather today as well, and uh, have a nice one.